need to make sure this is on. Uh, I had uh, everything planned for a lip sync sermon. Uh, and I, I really battled and thought, well, Tim Keller, John Piper. And then I watched Mariah Carey last night, and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go there. So for those of you who didn't get that, uh, go look at the news. But anyway, uh, today we're going to be in John chapter 2 and 3, primarily 3. So if you could turn in your copy of God's Word, that would be great. I love preaching here. I don't get a lot of opportunities because Mark's so good. I keep, everybody, I keep going to him, but that's, that's a good thing. Uh, but he kind of helped me with, all right, what are you going to preach and teach? Recently, uh, David has mentioned, not preached out of John 1, but he's mentioned it in his sermons a number of times. And then the last time Mark preached, he preached out of John chapter 2. And uh, maybe you'll remember the, the joy that he, he preached about that Christ um, was starting his public ministry and he uh, turned the water into wine at the, at the marriage feast of Cana. So uh, I thought, okay, well, let's just stick with John and we're going to do uh, Jesus and Nicodemus more than a teacher. So um, that's what we're going to be doing today, looking at the first part of uh, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. It is a four-part series, so for the next four years, uh, I'll be preaching on it. <laughs> Um, and I hope you come back to the, to the other ones. Um, but uh, so, so hopefully uh, it'll whet your appetite, but you don't know when I'm preaching anyway, so that, that's okay. I, I uh, always like to start, uh, you know, if I'm preaching just a one-time thing, uh, like to bring you up to speed, and we're in John chapter, the end of chapter 2, so this is relatively easy. I just want to summarize chapter 1 and chapter 2 and kind of uh, a little bit of what's going on in the Gospel of John. Uh, and then we'll look at the, the actual conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. <clears throat> uh, at the very beginning of John, it starts with those same words. In the beginning was uh, the Word, and the Word was God. Uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then it says, and that, and that Word we know is Jesus. And it says that all things were created by Him. And nothing was made that has been made uh, without Him. And so we see that Jesus Christ is, is the Creator, too. Uh, God the Father Yes, but also Jesus Christ. And then it says a little later in John 1 that he came in the flesh, and he came here. That's why we celebrate Christmas, um, because Jesus came in, in the flesh. And so we have that as the first part of, of chapter 1, and he says that he came in the flesh to save us from our sins because we couldn't be saved by flesh and blood. We had to be saved by him. So we needed him. That's, that's verse 12. In the second half of chapter 1, Jesus is starting his, his like public ministry. And before he starts off, he's like, i got to have a team. And, and he wants a good team, like Clemson. He wants, a, he wants a good team. And so he's going, and, you know, but he doesn't go, and he doesn't pick the, the, the leaders of everybody. He goes and he picks fishermen. And he's like, I want you to follow me. And so he's picking his team and his disciples and the end of chapter 1, and he starts off on, the, on this public ministry to, to show that he's the Messiah, uh, the Redeemer come from God, the Redeemer God who comes to man. In chapter 2, he starts his public ministry, kind of unlikely, he kind of steps into ministry. It's interesting, I thought about that as I was thinking about reviewing chapter, uh, the, the, the book, I'm like, Jesus always steps into ministry. Anywhere he goes, he's stepping into ministry. It kind of finds him. And I thought, man, that's a great application for us because we're called for the same thing, to be ministers of God. Do we step into ministry? You know, is your life and my life all about that? Wherever we are, are we thinking ministry? Because that's what Jesus was thinking. And he steps into ministry at a wedding. And his mom kind of calls him into the ministry. Uh, and he says, it's not my time yet. But then he goes and he, he turns the water into wine. And uh, he does this miracle 
And uh, he's showing in that miracle that, that he's come and he's going to make all things new and all things good. And then in chapter 3, he, uh, he continues his public ministry by taking the gospel, taking the gospel, the message of the Messiah to his own people, to, the, to a Jew, to a leader of the Jews, Nicodemus, who was a Jew. The very next chapter, chapter 4, he takes uh, the, the gospel of the Messiah to all the nations, to a Gentile woman, the woman at the well. And so that kind of gives you a summary of what's going on. Jesus is uh, starting his public ministry, and we, we find him taking the, the gospel of the need of salvation and of, of the Messiah that he came to give salvation to his own people, to, to a ruler of the Jews. We're going to pick up in uh, John chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, 2.23 through 3.7. And uh, even though it says 3.21, it, it'll take us a while to get to that. Uh, three years, in fact, three more years. Uh, so verse 23, chapter 2. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, your version might say miracles, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man, not just what was outside, but what was in his heart. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word that's before us today. This is a, not just a story that's a fairy tale, but a story that's true, and a story that you have written in your word for us to learn, for us to understand our great need of a Savior and the great provision of one. And Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would open our, our blind eyes and our deaf ears, that you would do miracles today that cause us to hear and listen and be changed and transformed, not by New Year's resolutions, but, your, but by your very word. And Father, I pray that you would be in the business of making us all new. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, if you guys are followers of college football, there would be some things that would be true of you, things that I would expect. Uh, if you were followers of college football, I would expect you to know that we now have a playoff system and that that playoff system was not invented by the Dr. Pepper commercial guy. Right? Uh, you would also know that the, the four uh, playoff teams this year were Alabama and Washington who played, and Alabama won by 17. And you would know that Clemson and uh, who was the other? Oh, Ohio State played. And uh, I went to bed early. What was, I'm just kidding. You wouldn't, I wouldn't know, that, I don't expect you to know that Clemson dominated Ohio State and that they're going to dominate Alabama. Prediction. Uh, but the truth is, if, if you were a follower of college football, I would expect you to know some of those things. Uh, and Jesus in this passage is telling Nicodemus, if you were a follower of me, if you were a believer, if you had a real relationship with God, then there would be some things true of you that aren't true of you. And uh, so Jesus gets right at the heart of issues, and 
And the thing is, as, as he does that, he really gets at the heart of some of our, our issues as well. And I pray that he would show us some of those things. Uh, so if you were a truly follower of Christ, a Christian, uh, Nicodemus, you would have certain things that are true of you. And I'm surprised that they're not. So let me read, uh, and we'll back up into chapter 2 a little bit before. And sometimes the Bible um, is broken up into verses and chapters, and that wasn't the way it was originally. It was just a big, long you know, narrative and, and story and, and teaching. And it would be really difficult to find passages if it stayed that way, so I'm really glad for men who put verses and chapters in there. It makes it a lot easier. Uh, in fact, in Hebrews, it says, the, the writer of Hebrews says, it says somewhere. I think it's because he's like, I don't want to go through the whole scrolls, you know, to, to try to figure it out exactly. Um, and, but, but this is, I think, a pretty bad break uh, in, the, in the chapters because it says that Jesus uh, knew the hearts of man and then immediately says, and there was a man that came to him named Nicodemus. And it shows us that, that he was illustrating that he knew Nicodemus' heart right there. And uh, so these, these passages, the passage 2, and, or chapter 2 and chapter 3, just blend right together. And uh, starting in verse 23, it says, Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing the miracles or signs what he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. Because he knew all men, and he did not need anyone to testify of man because, or concerning man because he knew what was in man. It says that many believed and many trusted. Well, what's going on here is that uh, it picks up right after Mark preached that, that Jesus was at the, the marriage feast. He made this water into amazing wine, um, and all the servers, they were like, man, uh, amazed at this. Why did you save the, the, the best for, for last to the one who hosted the wedding, and it's because Jesus was making it all, all things new. And then right after that, it was Passover time, and Jesus was uh, about his public business starting the ministry, and he was doing many miracles. He was healing people, you know, um, all those kind of things. And we see some of that later in John, where, where he made, uh, a, you know, some bread into lots of bread and some fish into lots of fish, and he turned the water into wine in chapter 2, and he's healing diseases, the lame, and he causes the blind to see and the deaf to hear. Uh, and, and he causes the poor to rejoice, and, you know, all, all, these, all these things uh, that he's doing, and it says that many believed in his name. But then right after that, it says something about Jesus. They believed, it's like, we believe in you, and Jesus didn't, it says that he didn't entrust himself to them on his part because he knew their hearts. And I was thinking, what's the best way to illustrate that? Well, it, you know, this is kind of covenant language. Jesus didn't entrust himself. He didn't commit to them Although they seemed to be committing to him, <clears throat> he didn't commit himself back to them. So it's a little bit like vow language. And I was thinking today, uh, I actually have been in one uh, wedding where they said this, and I've heard of many others, <clears throat> where they changed the vows to say, as long as we both shall love, instead of as long as we both shall live. And I think that gets at the essence of what's going on in this passage, that they're like, as long as you keep giving me bread, Jesus... And we see that a little later in John chapter 6. They came across the, the river or the, the, the big body of water. And Jesus is like, you just want the bread. You don't want me. I am the bread. That was just a sign to point to something more. And uh, what's going on here is they're like, well, as long as you keep doing this, Jesus, as long as you love us by giving us stuff, we'll believe. And Jesus is like, that's not a covenant. That's not a commitment. And so he didn't entrust himself to them. They had no part of Jesus. Um, and I think this is a good time to, to talk about this. A lot of times you'll, you'll see in reading the Gospel of John, uh, the Greek word translated as uh, sign or miracle, and, and they both are the same. It could be either way. 
Uh, the problem with a translated miracle for you and for me is we think miracle, we're like, wow, and, and the miracle itself becomes the thing we think about. If we think of a sign, we're usually thinking about it pointing to something else. And uh, I, I think at least the best illustration for me is I love Disney World. And let's consider we're taking a trip to Disney World. And I had a family, part of my family just did that. And, uh, and, the, and the RUF campus guy at Clemson, uh, Stephen Speaks, is like the biggest fan. And, and he and his family were there last week. And that's all he talked about when we were together. And he's like almost my age. And like all he can talk about is Mickey Mouse, you know. Um, but he loves it there. And let's say we're going and, and we, we get, you know, into Florida and we see this massively big sign right at the rest area that says Disney World, like whatever many miles away. And, you know, I've unpacked the car, get my family out, sit under that sign, and we're like, whoo! And then we turn around and we go home. That, that's really what's happening with these people. They see the signs and miracles and they miss the substance of the, what the sign is pointing to Christ. And I think that you and I often want the blessings of Christianity. We want the blessings of being in a family and a body, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but we, we miss the relationship with Jesus and the growing relationship with Christ. And that's what was happening here. Jesus wasn't entrusting himself to them because they didn't really want him. They just wanted the, the miracles that he was doing. They didn't believe in the sign that pointed to what the miracles pointed to. And that was Jesus himself. He is the bread of life. He doesn't just give us bread for our life. Uh, so what we see in this particular passage is pretty strong. Not, not all belief and not all faith is saving faith. Matter of fact, these people outwardly, they were believing on his name. They were following him. They were at the next service, and they were at the next service, and they were at the next service, and they were believing in his name. And, you know, I, I can imagine, you know, that, um, that his followers were like, what, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, didn't we start a, a, a public ministry so that we could gather people? And these people are believing on your name, and you're not, like, accepting them? And I'm like, I can imagine the disciples are like, wait, wait. Like, they're, like, the ones that are believing. If there's anybody believing in Jesus at that point, they were really believing in something to do with Jesus. Uh, but, but we see that there's a true belief and true repentance and true faith uh, can be masked with external uh, faith a lot. Now, the Gospel of John is written all about that. The end of John, John chapter 20 uh, verses 30, I think, or 31. Um, it, he says this, I write these things to you so that you may believe, you may believe that they're true, and believing you may have life in his name. So for John, it wasn't enough just to believe that they were true, but the believing should transform us, how? To have life with him, to have a life in his name. And that's what this is all about. Uh, and, and then the very next part, it, it transitions to, uh, to, to Nicodemus. And he says that Jesus didn't entrust himself because he knew the hearts of man. And then the very next verse, uh, we meet Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, uh, so in, in verse 1, we meet this man. And Jesus is going to show that he knew Nicodemus' heart uh, more than Nicodemus knew his heart himself. Now, before we get far into this, let me um, try to, we're going to talk about being born again. We, we don't use that language a, a whole lot. You might have some, uh, some friends around the South that use that, you need to be born again, brother, you know, use that born again language all the time that, that we're going to get to in a few minutes. But let's think about who do we say needs to be born again? Our culture would say this. Uh, we have faith-based um, uh, rehab programs, help programs, and a lot of times the faith-based programs work a lot better than the not faith-based programs. 
And a lot of people that aren't believers, they'll look at that and they're like, you know, those people that are downcast, that are addicts, that are depressed, that, you know, some people just really need to hold on to something like, they just need that religion. <laughs> you know, they need to be born again. We don't really need it. They're downcast. They need it. So we think sometimes the people who need to be born again are the people who really struggle and need religion or some false hope. Um, and, uh, and, and then the second group that we kind of think might need to be born again are those people that are really, 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 really bad. Like, have you ever heard, like, you've been around somebody, you're like, man, they need Jesus, right? That's the two groups that we think about needing Jesus. So the ones that are just really immoral, who are really, really bad, are really, really downcast and depressed and just need something to hold on to because, you know, they can't get it together themselves. Well, I want to tell you that Nicodemus is not either one of those people. You know, we're going to see that. Nicodemus is an example of the people that are uh, in, in John chapter 2. They believed in Jesus. Yeah, they, they wanted to be healed and stuff, but but they, they weren't really all just downcast and doing terrible and, and all that or ter- ter- terribly immoral. Obviously, Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee. He was obedient to the law. Uh, Nicodemus had a lot of wealth. He was very high up in society. So why did he need Jesus? Why did he need to be born again? And that's kind of what's going on here. So uh, on that night, one night that Jesus was proclaiming that he was the Messiah, uh, that he was about his public business, he met this, uh, this Pharisee. And it says in verse 1, we, we see his name, we see like his, uh, his status and position, we see what party he belonged to, uh, you know, the basic things that you would do to introduce somebody and get to know them. I think it's important that we understand verse 1 and who Nicodemus is so that we can understand the applications of what follows um, below. So um, who is Nicodemus? First of all, his name in the Greek means he's the victor over the peoples. He's a victor over the people, pretty high up. He's a victor over the peoples. And then he says he belonged to a party. You know, we, we just had the election, right? Uh, I don't know where you stood on all that, but uh, it was he, I wonder if he was Democratic or if he, if he was a Democrat or if he was a Republican or if he was of the Green Party or the Blue or the Tea Party or the whatever, right? And it says that he was a party of the Pharisees. And what's really interesting is the party of the Pharisees was known as the party of the serious and how does that help us out? Well, that means he was serious about the things of the Lord. He was serious about knowing his Bible. He was serious about memorizing it. He was serious about obeying the commands of Scripture. He was serious about the things of the Lord. He was serious about all those things. More than anybody else would have been serious, this is who Nicodemus was. He was the party of the serious. Um, and as, as we look at Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees through all the Scripture, we'll find out that the Pharisees had pretty good doctrine. They believed in the creation by God. You know, they, they, be, they believed in the resurrection from the dead. They, they believed that God decreed all things. They, they believed uh, that, that you know, God was sovereign and was going to save somehow them. You know, they, they believed in, in accountability and, and moral accountability. They believed that they should obey and, and live. And they also believed in punishment if they didn't and eternal punishment. They also believed in eternal life. They believed all those things. They were renowned men. Matter of fact, Paul, who wrote, penned two-thirds of the New Testament, he was one of them, uh, or he had been one of them for a while. And so to this party, the Pharisees Nicodemus belonged, and he wasn't just a part of the party. It says that he was a leader, a teacher, a teacher of the teachers. You know, he would have been a part of the Sanhedrin, the high-ups. Uh, that's who he would have been. Um, to summarize, he would have been a little older. He would have been very, very wise. He would have been very educated elitely educated like Harvard, not on the hill. 
You know, he would have been like uh, a very top, top-notch uh, as far as culturally. He'll be one of the cultural uh, elites. And um, it, here's an important thing. When I was growing up, I always heard that, you know, this Nicodemus came to Jesus because he was seeking salvation. He wanted to know, how do I get saved? And so Jesus responds, like, nowhere do we see that. Nowhere in this do we see that he was coming to, to Jesus for salvation. That, that wasn't his intent. He wasn't seeking, he, was, he wasn't seeking salvation, not that he knew of, at least. Um, that's nowhere in here. But it says here that um, we know, you know, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he says, we know that you've been sent from God because people... Um, People can't do the things you're doing unless they were sent from God, kind of like us, Pharisees. Well, what's happening is Nicodemus is a representative of the whole Pharisees. It's like we know. He's not saying I know. He's like we know. And he comes to Jesus, and he's, 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 I can imagine the Pharisees are over here. They're looking at what Jesus is doing, and many people are believing, and many people are following, and they were the leaders you know, of, of, the, of really the, the whole country, not just religiously, but just generally the religious leaders were the leaders at that point. And they were like, hey, he's taking away some of our followers. People are starting to follow him. We got to work this out. We need to do some bipartisan work. You know, I'm sure they said that because if they said we just reject him immediately so, people were going to, you know, start following Jesus because they were already believing in his name. So they had to be really careful. And, and so what Nicodemus was doing is like, hey, let's work together, Jesus. We don't, you know, let's work together here. You, we know you've come from God as a teacher, kind of like of us. And what Jesus is telling him in this story all the way through is, if you only know me as a good teacher, you don't have any relationship with me. And that's the way it is with you and me. If we know him only as a good teacher, we have no real relationship with Christ. Now, uh, I also heard that, you know, he came at night. He came at night because he was afraid he'd be seen. Well, uh, when we see Nicodemus two other times in the scripture, he's not a timid guy. He's not meek. He's not, well, not I don't know if he's meek, but he's not timid. He's a strong guy, a strong-willed guy. Uh, he, he's very uh, public with his um, uh, love of Christ after this fact and, and, and all that. And uh, that could have been pretty serious for him. And so I don't think that he was like timid coming at night in the sense that he wanted salvation, so he comes at night. Uh, I do think two things about the, the, the idea of night and, and darkness. We actually sang... Uh, a song that had this idea in it, and um, I didn't jot it down, so I can't quote it back for you, but today. And in the Gospel of John, starting in the very first chapter and all the way to the very last chapter, John uses this light and darkness in two ways. He talks about it physically, that there's real light and there's real darkness, but he immediately always shows that it, the darkness of our heart and the lightness of Christ. That, that we, and Isaiah 9 says the same thing. That, you know, this is close to Christmas. It's like, uh, the people who walked in great darkness, behold, the light has dawned, right? And then they walked in, in real darkness, but they were talking about more of the darkness of, of their soul. And so I believe there's two things going on in this. They came at night. I believe, first of all, he came in the darkness of his own soul. And he really didn't know how he really needed Jesus. He didn't know that. Jesus had to enlighten him to that. And we'll see that Jesus does enlighten him to that. The second thing is, yes, probably if, if the Pharisees uh, were seen coming to Jesus, people would be like, oh, you're following him too. So yes, probably there was a little bit of him coming at night for that reason, but not, not this idea that he was really seeking salvation and really wanted to be saved. That's just nowhere, anywhere in this, in this text. Um, I, I think that those are the, are the two reasons for at night. Then in verse 3 it says this, Jesus answered him. Now let me go back to verse 2. And you, you hold, on to this little, hold on to this little part of verse 3. Jesus answered him. 
What did he answer him? Uh, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And then it says, and Jesus answered him. It was like, what's interesting about that? He hadn't asked any questions. You know, there's no question. Jesus already knew the need of his heart, and he answered the need of his heart without, without Nicodemus even understanding the need of his heart and the condition of his soul. And it says that Jesus answered to him, and he said, truly, truly, that you, if you have a, a King James Version, what does it say? Verily, verily. Like, what? Well, what does that mean? We don't use those words. But, but basically what this is saying is like, listen to me, listen to me closely. Listen to me. You know, we have a little dog now a puppy uh, named Finley, and, and a lot of times we're like, listen to me. <laughs> like, you know, I, I need your attention. Uh, there was a, a sermon recently, was it Mark or David, that said they took the chin, and that was Mark, right? And it kind of turned your face, and you, you had him, I think that was, that was a really good illustration. Anyway, you should go and get the tape. It's really awesome. CD, MP3, whatever it is. Um, and, and so Jesus answered, and he's answering, and there's not even a question. He's like, you have to be born again. And sometimes we can learn a lot in our English Bibles just by reading New American Standard and ESV and NIV and KJV and others, just by looking at how the different Greek words are translated. And this is a case where we could find that. You could look at some of your Bible versions and you would see that it says that that you must be born again. You might look at another translation and it says you need to be born from above. And you could see another translation and you need to be born anew. All those things are accurate. What, What Jesus is saying is like, Nicodemus, you need a whole new life. You know, yeah, you think you're really good and you're a Pharisee and a ruler of the rulers, but you've got to be born all over again and it can't be a birth from down here. It's got to be a birth from above. And then he goes on, talks about that birth from above. Now, we need to understand, who is he telling this to? He's telling this to Nicodemus, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a ruler of the rulers, a teacher of the teachers. You know, who is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is one, they had like 900 extra commandments. They gathered them all just so they wouldn't, miss one of them and probably they had like apps to like say oh you're about to break a commandment or something and they had 900 one of those commandments was this they 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 did not allow women to look in uh, a mirror or anything that reflected their image on on the sabbath morning you know why because they might be tempted to pluck out their gray hairs literally that's one of the commandments i don't know why it says women but that is what it says i i do that or i i've tried it's over now it's like there are too many of them um but, you know, they were serious. He was serious about obeying. He was serious about the law. Man, he knew the word of God more than, I'm sure, any of us. And that is the one he said, you must be born again. You squeaky clean person, you're the one that needs to be born again. Now, this text is, the, look, we, can, we can understand this. This is not Jesus saying, you need to be a little more religious. You need to be a little bit more moral. You need to read your Bible a little bit more. You need to memorize a little bit more, Nicodemus. You need to be more serious about the word. None of that. In fact, what Jesus is saying is like, I want you to do away with any hope that you can know the Bible well enough to be okay with me. I want you to be, I want you to get in your head that you can read it through every single year, year after year after year, and not be okay with me. Because that's not the way you're okay with me. That's not the way you have a relationship with me. That's what he was saying. It's like, I'm not calling you to do more. I'm calling you to trust the one who can save and redeem you for your salvation. Uh, he, he wants him to, to, to do away with any hope that he can be more religious, more moral, read more, sing more, praise more. He's like, you have to be born from above, not from here. 
all over again. Nicodemus was, was faith, faced with a lot of difficulty. And, and so I'm like, he's probably you know, really, really tense. And when you're really, really tense, you, you, you like come out with something to divert it. And I think Nicodemus was trying to divert it. So he asked this question in verse 4. And Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a, a, his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? You know, so here's Nicodemus, like, oh, God, how can an old man be born again? He can't, like, go back into his mother's womb, can he? And I think he said it more like that, not expecting Jesus to say, well, of course he can. He was expecting Jesus to say something like, no, no, I don't mean totally born again, but you've got to get a little better. You know, Nicodemus was looking for a little bit of praise. Nicodemus was, was looking to, for Jesus to tell him, hey, you've got to change just a couple of things. Nicodemus said, Jesus, give me a little bit of credit. I think that's really what's going on here. Um, and, and, you know, look what I've achieved. Look what I've done. I, I'm a teacher of the teachers, a leader of the nation. And Jesus is saying, you on your own are a big zero. I, and he gave him no credit. And you think, that's awful. And I'm like, no, that's good. Because what happens if he gave him credit, he wouldn't really have a relationship with Christ because that's not how you gain relationship with Christ. I was thinking about uh, playing 20 basketball. Has anybody ever played the game 21, like in basketball? There's a lot of different rules out there for 21. Everybody plays it differently. And usually you don't know what the other person's rules is until they're about to lose the game or you're about to win the game, and then they tell you the rules. Uh, and then they change them after that. Like, no, no, your rules were better. Let's just go with that. But um, let's just imagine that I'll use me, who has a two-inch vertical leap. Uh, I'm playing Michael Jordan. He's kind of old. Uh, maybe I'm playing uh, LeBron and Harden, he had an amazing game the other day, 53.17 rebounds, 15 assists, something crazy like that, the night before last or last month. Anyway, uh, let's say I'm playing those two guys, 21, and, and, and I, I get up there, and, and man, I'm just dominating them. I'm like, I don't know where this is coming from. Everything I'm throwing up or bouncing in, it hits a rock and goes right in. It's just like amazing. I'm like, man, tearing them up. And then I get to like 20, and uh, you know, I missed the foul shot, and there's no way for me to get 21. So, you know, sometimes you go back to, what, 11, and some other times people say you go back to zero. And let's just say that this game, Michael Jordan's like, hey, listen, you got to go back to zero. I'm like, man, give me some credit. Man, look at what I've been doing. And Nicodemus was looking for credit. He wanted Jesus to say, man, you've been doing so many things so well. You just need to do these few things a little better. And Jesus is like, no, you need a whole new life. There's a lot of metaphors about the salvation and about uh, a relationship with Christ in Scripture. Why does Jesus pick the born-again part? Because I think it's the most radical of all the metaphors. It's like you have to have a whole new life. You know, what you have is not going to cut it. So Nicodemus was looking for some credit, and Jesus repeats, and he, and he doesn't give him any credit. In verse 5, he repeats and says, Jesus answered him. And he said, truly, truly, verily, verily, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Um, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So in, in verse 3, he says, unless you're born again. In verse 5, he's saying the same thing. Unless you're born of the Spirit and born of water, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Those two things are interrelated. We see them like uh, as equivalents in, in this text. And so what we see is like being born again means, means that you have the Spirit implanted in you, that God has to do that work, and that you're washed by the water of the Word, that you have to be whole, you know, newly made by by God's word, who's active and living and can transform your life, and, and by the spirit that God puts, puts in you, you have to be made all the way new. And for Christians, uh, Jesus is saying we're all, every Christian is in that process of being made new, redeemed and, 
and transformed by the Spirit and by, by the Word. Now, yeah, we have times that we struggle and sin, but the trajectory of a, a Christian life is to be washed and renewed and transformed by the Spirit, and not by our doing, but by the Spirit and by His doing. And then verse, verse 6 says this, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is, is spirit. Do not be amazed, Nicodemus, that I say to you, that I'm teaching you, you must be born again. Um, well, this kind of tells us this, that, you know, uh, if, when dogs get together and mate, they have dogs, right? Uh, when giraffes get together and mate, they have giraffes. Uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Kind of like kind has like kind. And when people get together, they have people. Sometimes they come out with cone heads. for a little, They look a little bit different to start with, but they're people. And it usually, you know, changes around. And, um, and, and what this is saying is, that sinful men have sinful men. It doesn't matter how one might look on the outside if they're kind of more whitewashed and clean. Uh, you know, and he says, you, you don't need to be amazed at this. This shouldn't surprise you, Nicodemus. This has always been the teaching of the Scripture all the way since the Old Testament uh, that, that you have to be born again. A sinner can't clean up enough on his own. I, w- I was watching what my family hates me to watch, and that's uh, Forensic Files. Um, does anybody watch Forensic Files? Hey, how many people watch it and don't want to admit to it? Okay. So they're like, that's gross. And uh, anyway, so I was watching Forensic Files. And there was this um, really horrendous, uh, uh, well, I'll just say it, murder scene. And it was in a bedroom. And, and the guy who committed the murder, they, sh- they have him on tape going to CVS, a CVS store. And they have him buying uh, a, a one little thing of whiteout and one thing of white shoe polish. This is, this is a real story. And he goes and he tries to cover all the blood evidence with a, the whiteout and the shoe polish. And they show pictures of it, and obviously he can't do it. And, and it's like this. As Jesus is saying, you, you can't cover your sins with whitewashed tombs. It's like, you know, on the inside, a whitewashed tomb has death. You know, there's nothing alive in there. But on the outside, it looks really, really good. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you need a, a whole new life. And now, he's saying you must be born again. And a lot of times we think, well, you must be born again. Jesus is not saying, hey, guys, just do whatever it takes to be born again. Because we can't do whatever it takes to be born again. That's the whole story. So this is not Jesus saying, guys, you just need to do whatever it takes to be born again. Um, no, this is saying to be born again means something happens to you from heaven, from the Lord, from uh, his kingdom, and it's happening, and it's produced by the Spirit, by his word to you. Now, non-Christians, speak to you for a minute. Um, Where are you? Are you at the end of your hope, end of your road? Are you depressed, discouraged? Why am I here? Are you a bottom dweller? Are you the one that needs to be like a little bit of religion and need to be born again? Um, Are you lonely, or are you without hope? Are you... um, or are you those that are giving over to sin again and again and again and can't break that habit, non-Christian? Um, or are you a non-Christian that on the outside you look really, really good? Matter of fact, you dress up and you blend right in here. I don't mean you just dress up uh, physically, but you dress up spiritually. And you look pretty good, and, and yet, you know, you're, you're doing the, you're a party of the serious, right? You go to the Bible studies that, that we have. You're, you're a student of the word like Nicodemus was. And yet you have really not very much relationship with Jesus, if at all. You know, you're trying to clean up on the outside, and maybe your New Year's resolutions is, I want to read the Bible more, I want to pray more, 
I want to uh, be more active in, in ministry and service. Those are all good things. But if those things are just for those things, you've missed the whole boat. Because we want to be able to pray more, read more, study the scriptures more, relate more so that we can adore Jesus more. And if you stop short of just doing all these things more, you're no better than the Pharisee and you need to be born all over again. Jesus is not telling the Pharisee, forget what you've learned in the scriptures. He didn't say that. He didn't say stop studying them. But what he did say is, hey, you study them your whole life and you know them backwards and forwards and you still need a whole new life. So whatever your New Year's resolutions are, whatever your evaluations of your life are uh, at the moment and what you want to change, make sure you don't stop with just read the scriptures through this year. That You should, or maybe you should. Um, don't, don't stop with, I want to be more committed to church or with, to that home group or fellowship group. Don't stop with that. You can make those a part of it, but what, for what purpose? So that you can know him. You can walk with him. You can adore him. That, that you can see that, man, I have a relationship with the one who's given me, by his grace, a whole new life. And that's what he calls you to do. That's for the non-Christians. Christians, first of all, make sure that he's, uh, you're, you, he's chosen you. And Second Peter, he says, make your election sure. What does that mean? That means that, like, Nicodemus thought he was saved, right? Nicodemus would say, man, if anybody was right with God in that whole country, he and a few others would, would be the people. And you might be thinking you're okay because you come to church and you're a party of the serious. But Jesus is like, you need to be born all over again if you think you can do it on your own. You've never been able to and you can't even today. So, so non-Christian, first of all, make sure that you're in, in Christ by his grace and that's your standing. But, but secondly, live by his grace. You know, know that you're part of his kingdom, that you're okay because of his doing, that his spirit's doing and the word of God's doing. What will that change in you this year? This, you might, you might uh, have a, a New Year's resolution. I want to rest more in that truth. I want to rest that I am his. I mean, no, nobody can snatch me out of his hands because I'm not his because I'm good. I'm his because of him, because of his spirit's work and his, the work of his word. Um, non-Christian turn to him. This is not saying non-Christian by anything you can do, be born again. This is, this is a greatest invitation. This is not Jesus saying, you need to be born again, do whatever you can do. This is saying, you need to be born again, and all you have to do and all you can do to do it is come to me, and I'll save you, and I'll birth you all over again. So non-Christian, it's really that easy because it's not something you can do. It's something you have to trust and say, Jesus, do it. Birth me all over again. And, and Christian, live in the light of your new birth and where it came from. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. It's, uh, it's good. I know today is, is not so much an outline, but it's more of a narrative and a story. And yet I pray that the story of your interaction, Jesus, with Nicodemus would shed light on our relationship with you, Father, and what it's based on. Father, we thank you that our being born again and born anew and, and born from above is, is not something that we can do. It's not by flesh. It's by the Spirit. It, it's not by our doing. It's by the Lord's doing. Uh, Father, we thank you for it because, uh, because it's your doing. We can rest in it fully and finally and completely. And Father, as we rest in it, uh, tr transform us uh, to look more and more and more like you, Father. And, and help us not to think that looking more like you is the cause of, of, uh, or, the, or the blessings and the benefit of, of why we've been changed. But we look more like you because you've changed us. And Father, I pray if there's a non-Christian here today that, that they would hear these words, you must be born again, and not think it's something they can uh, do themselves. Uh, but may they come to you as a great invitation and rest in the fact that you, by your spirit, by your word, can be born again. They can be born again uh, to a living hope, to a relationship with Christ. Father, not one that's just external and not real, but one that's real, 
And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.